So we're continue our, continuing our study in uh, the second letter uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, we're coming towards the end of this little letter. Uh, it feels like we just started, but it is only three chapters long, uh, and it is uh, fairly short, uh, one of Paul's shorter letters. And I just kind of want to review where we've been. I, I always say um, one of the more helpful things to do is to kind of to, to pull back and get a broad picture. And we can remember that um, over the course of this letter, we've seen how Paul encouraged the, the Thessalonians even as they faced uh, persecution and suffering, reminding them that the Lord Jesus was coming again both to, to judge and to save. And then we looked at how uh, the, the Lord Jesus has not yet returned, and that before he returns, there is going to be lawlessness, and the lawless one who's going to come, and many are going to fall away who uh, did not love the truth. And yet Paul doesn't leave them in that place of worry. Last week we looked at not how he reminded them, them that their salvation was uh, by God's sovereign hand, election and love uh, that comes from uh, God's hand. This love that is not deserved. And this week, now we come to a, a finally. That's what he says, finally. He's coming to the end. He's preached the bulk of his uh, message and he turns now uh, to the topic of prayer. He wants the Thessalonians to pray for him. So with that, let's turn to the text. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. You can follow along your bulletins or your Bibles. Hear God's word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Once again, Lord, we ask for uh, your help. Help us by your spirit to not only understand your word, but to apply it to our hearts, uh, Lord, and then work it out in our lives. We need your spirit to do this, so we cry out to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just finished praying. Um, but why do we pray? I don't doubt that some of you have asked the question, either in your head or maybe out loud, you've asked the question, why do we pray? After all, last week, we talked about God's sovereign hand in salvation, that he is the one who saves. Not only that, but he is the, the one who ordains all things that comes to pass. He is the sovereign king. And so, why pray? If this is true... What effect does our prayer have? What do our prayers do? And even on top of that, sometimes in our praying, we don't receive the answers that we desire, or it seems that God doesn't hear us or is distant or doesn't listen. Sometimes we feel as though prayer is ineffective. And 
Now that's how we feel sometimes. And yet, prayer is not only something that we see exhibited throughout Scripture, but from the beginning to the end, people pray, as we see throughout Scripture, and the Psalms themselves, songs, but their prayers lifted up to the Lord, a whole book of them. Not only do we see them exhibited, but we are commanded to pray. The Lord Jesus teaches us how to pray. And not only this, but the Lord Jesus himself prays to the Heavenly Father. Let's get your mind around that. This sovereign Lord, King Jesus, prays to his Heavenly Father. He even asks his disciples to pray for him in Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. Right? He needs their prayers. <laughs> it's hard to get our mind around. The Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. The Apostle Paul here also in our text needs prayer. He needs the prayer of these Thessalonians. After all, prayer is one of God's most precious, precious instruments of the working out of that divine will. It's the way he works, the means through which he works. The Lord of heaven and earth invites us to talk to him and to ask of him whatever it is that we need, and he promises to grant it to us according to his will. And here's the thing, because he is faithful, and because he is loving, we can go with confidence to that throne of grace, and know that he will be faithful to answer us our prayers, according to his will, for his glory, and for our good. Now, there's so much more to say about prayer, but this morning, this is my encouragement to you, is to pray to the Sovereign Lord whose steadfast love endures forever. Pray to the Sovereign One who has love for you and wants to dispense that love to you. And he uses this means. Pray to the Sovereign Lord whose steadfast love endures forever. We're going to look at this in three parts. First, pray for the steadfast love of the Lord to extend to the ends of the earth. Second, pray that the steadfast love of the Lord would protect his people from the evil one. And then thirdly, pray that we might rest in that steadfast love, in that love and faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, let's begin. Pray for the steadfast love of the Lord to extend to the ends of the earth. He says here in verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Now, I noted here that he says finally, and there is no really clear connection to the previous section. It isn't as if there's a logic, logic, direct logic that follows, though I think in general it stems from everything he's saying, but there's no direct logic. There is, in a, in a way, Paul here is writing a letter. He's, he's writing a letter. He's saying to the Thessalonians, these are the things that I'm thankful for. These are the things I want you to know. And now he's saying, and about me, could you pray for me? We might write a letter. Do we write letters anymore? I don't know. But you, you know what I mean. We, we write the things that are on our hearts. He, in fact, he says brothers, which I think is pretty remarkable when you think about the Apostle Paul. Here he is, a prominent 
uh, figure in the church. He is the apostle par excellence, the one who goes out and spreads the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And yet he views himself as one of them, my brothers, my brothers and sisters. He puts himself on equal footing with them. He's saying, we need you, dear Thessalonians. They've, they've only just come to faith. They're young in the faith. They're learning what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul's saying, this man of faith is saying, I, I need you. I need your prayers. At the very outset, we are confronted with a question for ourselves. Are we desperate for the prayers of one another? Are we desperate for the prayers of one another? Do we pray for one another? I know how encouraging it has been for me to know and to hear how people in the church pray for me. And occasionally they'll tell me, hey, Rob, I was praying for you. I, I read this or I, I, I thought of you. Or uh, if it's Linda Dewey, she says, every time I eat, I pray for my pastor. I was like, wow, that's, that's such a, an encouraging thing to know. But I'm humbly asking for your prayers. Am I doing that? Am I, I, people I hear are praying for, but, but am I going out and saying, I, I need your prayer? Or are you doing that? Are you going to one another? I, I, I need your prayer. You know, occasionally something will come up in our lives and we're desperate. We go, brother, sister, will you pray for me? Um, I wonder if sometimes we're very sort of closed and self-sufficient think we have it together. Friends, we all need prayer. And so, just my exhortation encouragement, go ask for it. Just go ask for it. You'll find great joy in knowing people are praying for you. But Paul asks them to pray, firstly here, that the gospel would speed ahead, as the ESV puts it. The Greek is a bit more vivid on this front. It says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run that the word of the Lord may run and be glorified. What a prayer. Paul doesn't pray for eloquence. He doesn't pray for himself so much. Rather, he prays for the gospel to have its way in people's hearts, racing out and unhindered. Okay? He's, not, he's not even praying for himself. In, he's praying uh, you know, sort of through himself. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. But then he says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Pray for us that the word of the Lord would just go out. That it would run. And the picture here that I think Paul is using, the picture that he's painting, is one of an Olympic runner or a, a runner in the ancient world. Um, the one who's running ahead. And that when he finishes that race, that Olympic race, he is crowned, right? He's crowned with glory. He receives glory. And so the Apostle Paul says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Or here the word is glorified. The word will go out and be glorified. And again, it's not a picture of Paul being described as running. He's not saying, may we run the race, though he will say that elsewhere. He'll tell Christians, go run the race. Uh, he says it uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and the writer of Hebrews says something similar in chapter 12. Um, and, you know, we read a little bit from that, uh, that passage earlier. 
But Paul here is highlighting the power of God in his word. So the word of the Lord is personified as this great athlete bounding to glory. And I think Paul is doing this precisely because there was a question in Thessalonica. There was problems. There was false teachers. There was persecution. And the people were wondering, is is the Lord already risen from the dead? What's going on right now? And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, let me show you who the Lord is. I want want you to note uh, how many times he uses this language of Lord here in uh, chapter 3. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord might speed ahead. And then a little farther down, but the Lord is faithful. And then a little farther down, and we have confidence in the Lord about you. And then a little farther down, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of Christ and steadfastness of Christ. Four times there, in this short little section, Paul is pointing to the sovereign king whose word goes out with power and authority and swiftly. And he's praying to that end. Um, You think of uh, someone running a race. uh, And I, I, you know, we're in the midst of uh, March Madness. And I can tell you that I I love uh, sports in general. And I love following sports. And I particularly love my teams. And so right now, you know, it's, it's the UConn women's team. And I tend to identify myself, and I've said this before, I tend to identify myself uh, with the team as if, as if I'm playing with them. I'm on the women's uh, uh, UConn basketball team. They're my team. Of course, that's not true. I'm, I'm a fan. But I feel that I'm a part of their, their run for the championship, so to speak. And so when they win, I feel like I win. So I start cheering them on through a screen. As if they can hear me. Come on. We're like that. With the gospel. Sure, we go out and we we share it. But what Paul is saying here is, I want to see the gospel run out and go ahead. And I want to cheer it on. And I want to just see the wonders and the glory of God at work. Pray for that. Pray for that. Now, I think who of us doesn't shrink back from sharing our faith? I'll, I'll, we, we, we say to ourselves, I'll, I'll, I don't want to say anything right now. I'm afraid of, I'll push them away. Right? Or, oh, they don't, they don't want to hear this. Or, this doesn't feel like the right moment. I, mean, I got to wait for the right moment. Maybe I'm not the only one, but that, I, that, that comes up in my mind a lot, those sorts of things. But here Paul says, pray that the word would do its thing. That the runners, or the runner, that is, the word of God, would receive the glory. And this is good news for those of us who are called to go share the good news. This isn't about All we have to do is be a mouthpiece. God is the one who does the work. His word is the thing that has power. 
Scripture says that his word is like a two-edged sword that it cuts down to bone and marrow. It is something that penetrates deep within us. It has power. Do we believe that? Paul says, I want to see it. Pray that the word would go out and run the race. That his eternal word, which pierces our hearts and souls and reveals sin and offers his steadfast love of salvation through Jesus, would go for it. Let's pray to that end. Next time you think you might encounter someone with whom you can share the love of Christ, ask one another for prayer. Prayer that God's word would do its thing. Pray that. And then cheer it on to glory. Share the good news and cheer it on to glory. Even in asking for such a prayer, I think it helps give us boldness. You know, you know when we ask for prayer... Would you, would you pray for me that I would go and be faithful and share the love of Christ? As soon as we ask that, it, it reminds us, okay, this is my call, but the Lord is the one who does the work. And prayer is really a confession, isn't it? I mean, think about what prayer is. It's a confession of our own weakness and the Lord's strength. When we, when we get on our knees, either physically or you know, just um, um, symbolically, when we do that, what we're saying is, I am not able, but you are. Lord, do the thing that you have called, uh, that you said you would do. In praying, we cry out to God, confessing that we are weak, but he is strong, that he is the sovereign Lord, and that he alone, through his word alone, saves. So, Pray that our sovereign Lord's loving word would race on from person to person, not just reaching our friends and neighbors, but spreading like wildfire. I'll change the analogy and going out to all the ends of the earth. That should be our prayer. Let's, let's cheer it on as God does his word. Second, pray that the steadfast love of the Lord would protect his people from the evil one. Paul has already pointed out how evil and lawlessness are at work. We've seen this, uh, that there were to be those that would come who hate the truth. Uh, he talked about a great apostasy that would come at the end of times, but that lawlessness was already at work um, in, in the lives of people. Um, I think when we think about the evil one, and we talked a little bit about this at our, in one of our Sunday school classes, um, but when we talk about the evil one, when we talk about Satan, we will often run into errors. We either believe that the evil one is not existent, or he is, but we never see him do anything. And so we mock the idea of devils sitting on shoulders, or of a, some pitchfork-wielding red guy with a tail, or blue, if you're a, a Duke fan. Even as Christians, we sometimes feel embarrassed talking about things like the devil or Satan. We, maybe we're a bit worried that we might seem kind of extreme. Right? I don't know, maybe you feel that sometimes. But let's be honest, Scripture is really plain on this front. Not only is the devil real, but demons are real. We only have to go to the New Testament to see this. You'll remember that the Lord Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, right, in the wilderness. Not only that, but throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus and the disciples uh, casting out demons, confronted by the evil one's horde over and over again. 
In fact, Jesus not only is confronted by Satan himself, but even his disciple, Peter, who tempts him to avoid the cross. And remember, Jesus said, I must go suffer and die. The Son of Man has to come to suffer and to die. And Peter's like, no, you don't, you don't need to suffer and die. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. If we had any doubts that Satan was real, uh, the New Testament is absolutely clear. Paul says, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So when Paul asks for prayer here, that they be delivered from wicked and evil men, he's talking about those who are under the power and influence of the evil one. Now, I think it is also interesting to, to know, and we'll look at this, who, is, who are these evil and wicked men? Um, but I think one of the reasons that he brings this up is because the Thessalonians need to be encouraged and reminded that God is faithful and will protect them against the evil one, just as he knows God will protect him from these wicked and evil men. And so you'll see in just a moment in this text, he'll, he'll turn it, he'll say, pray for me that I'll be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. And then he goes on and he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I think he brings up his own need to show his own dependence and his own confidence in the Lord, and then he encourages them to say, and the Lord will protect and keep you as well. So who are these wicked and evil men that the Apostle Paul describes here? Well, we don't know exactly. It seems as if Paul's referring to a particular people, uh, and maybe he's already described them to the Thessalonians. We don't know. We don't have the, the information it's likely that Paul is writing from Corinth and maybe there are folks within or connected to or in some way around the Christian community there that are trying to steer the people away from the truth. Maybe they are uh, part of the group of Jews who are Judaizers that we see later. Or maybe they are people that are teaching some other sort of false doctrine as, as might be the case here in Thessalonica. Either way, whoever it was, the Apostle Paul... Uh, and his compatriots, his friends, were facing some sort of danger that needs they need deliverance from. He's asking for prayer that God would deliver them. Now, a note just here about this word for wicked, uh, wicked and evil men. Uh, this word might, I mean, the, the more normal usage of the word or translation of the word is out of place. Um, out of place. So maybe a better translation might be, in other words, uh, uh, these people, whoever they were, they were out of place. They were not where they should be. They were doing evil things. They were getting mixed up uh, in the people of God, and they were, they were causing strife of some sort. They don't belong within the people of God. Um, which, of course, then he says, for some, for not all have faith, and he might be talking specifically about these, these men who are pretending or moving people away. But Paul's hope is that through the prayers of the Thessalonians, God would protect and keep his church, and that the gospel would advance. So he prays, this is real evil, this is significant, 
these people are doing wicked things, and we need deliverance, and we know that the Lord can deliver. And this, this is the other thing I wanted to say. I said a few minutes ago that there were two errors with regard to the evil one. The first one is we pretend that evil doesn't exist, but the second problem is we, we obsess over evil, that it's, that it's some grand cosmic power struggle, and we're not sure who's going to win. And some of you may have grown up in traditions where that was the case, where there was this power that was almost as great as the Lord Jesus himself. One is thinking of the evil one too little, not recognizing the spiritual battles that are at hand. The other is thinking of him too much, of not seeing the faithfulness and steadfast love of the Lord, the sovereign king. And this is what the Apostle Paul wants them to know. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will protect you. Paul goes on from asking for prayer for his circumstances with regard to these out-of-place evil people who are seemingly disrupting his ministry and threatening his life in some way to encouraging the Thessalonians. The Lord is faithful and will establish them and guard them from the evil one. It's like he goes from prayer to pastoral ministry. And it, it, as a pastor, I just I know that sometimes you just can't help yourself. And it seems like Paul, he, he wants to ask for prayer, but then he can't help but be a pastor. He just can't help himself. So he wants to encourage them. He wants to let them know. Uh, Paul has confidence in the effectiveness of prayer as a means of God's preserving grace. And so he can say, even as he faces a situation that is difficult, that he needs deliverance from, he knows the Lord will establish and guard the Thessalonians. He has confidence. Uh, I love Martin Luther's Reformation hymn. You'll remember, if you were in Sunday school, that we looked at Martin Luther, and he was a man who certainly believed in devils. Uh, he was a man of his time. He grew up in a medieval world where the, the spiritual world and the, the physical world were, were very, uh, very close together. Uh, they, if we live in a very material age and the spiritual is sort of pushed away, it was the opposite in, in, in uh, Luther's world. But Luther knew that those devils and demons that, that, that he faced did not have power in the end. Hear him in his great hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. See, he recognizes the real spiritual nature of the foe. And he goes on and he says, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled, should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little 
the word shall come. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is close. That is the power of the word of God to protect and to preserve. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, a, what an amazing reality. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we pray. We pray that the steadfast love of the Lord will protect us from the evil one. We have to be honest with the world that we live in. That the evil one is at work to break down his church, to pull us away from the truth, to have us... I, I, was, I had an opportunity to speak at a, a Christian school the other day, at Masters, and to talk about Christian education. And the one thing I pointed out was that our world, our children, all of us, we are being washed over every minute of every day with the philosophies of this age. What will preserve us? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King. His Word. And this is the confidence that we have. Pray that the steadfast love of the Lord will protect His people from the evil one. Finally, and in conclusion, pray that we might rest in the love and faithfulness of Christ. Paul had great confidence that the Lord would preserve them. He says in verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you're doing and will do the things that we command. And that confidence is because of the work that the Lord is doing, not because of the Thessalonians, right? And this is what this whole little section is about. It's about the, the power and strength of the Lord. And then he prays at the end. So he asks for prayer at the beginning. He encourages uh, them to stand firm and to, to trust that the Lord will preserve them. And he's already doing that work. And then at the end, he prays for them. That's uh, a, a great little model. We pray for one another, encourage one another, uh, back and forth, mutual. He says this at the very end. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. It's interesting here, the scholars ask the question, and maybe you do and maybe you don't, but I'll bring it up anyway. Uh, when it says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, is that the love that God has for us, or is that to us for us to love God? And without hesitation, I have to say, the community group, when we wrestled with this, without hesitation said yes. And I was like, that's right. I think the Apostle Paul is leaving it a little bit general and a little bit vague to say yes. But it's founded firstly in the love of God. So as we move to rest in that sure love, that, that, that love that we looked at last week, that love that comes from eternity past that says, I love you because I love you. And that love that doesn't fail, it never fails. As we rest in that, it in turn turns our hearts to love. It, it, it moves us to love of God. And that love, of course, then moves us to love one another. Spills out. Spills out. And yet, the reality is that there are so many times in our lives that we 
we struggle to love and serve God. We can, we can look at a text like this and be reminded, yes, we are confident that the Lord will preserve us, that we will do the things that the, that the Lord has commanded to us because that's what the word says. We can have confidence in that. And yet our experience on a daily basis sometimes isn't that, is it? Sometimes we forget the love of God. In fact, we look at our circumstances and we say, does God really love me? And of course, that leads to all sorts of problems, doesn't it? Because then we justify uh, behaviors that are, are, are maybe sinful, or, or we just become morose, or we become embittered, or we become angry. Because we forget the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. So as we consider this idea of what does it mean for us to to direct our hearts to the love of God. I want to encourage you to pray for one another, that our hearts will be directed to the love of God. And, and how, how do we do that? Well, the Lord can open our hearts to see his love, but secondarily, I think we can encourage one another and say, don't forget the Lord loves you. You're his child. Can I pray that you would see his love? As, as you sit with somebody who says, I don't know, my life is, is so painful. How do I know the Lord's love? Let's look at the promises found in God's Word. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from God's love? Nothing. Nothing at all. Let's pray that the Lord would direct our hearts to the love of God. And let us direct one another's hearts to the love of God. But it's not just to God's love, to his steadfast love, but it's his stead, the steadfastness of Christ. I think for the Thessalonians, this was a particularly challenging period because Christ had risen and ascended and there was some question as to whether he had already returned and, and there was uncertainty about that and so they were uncertain about, well, if he's returned already, does that mean that, that we're left behind, that there's nothing for us? Are, are, are we, uh, there's this uncertainty. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, the Lord hasn't returned. He is steadfast. And when he returns, you will know. And for those who are in him, he will bring you home to glory. You are his, and he is yours. Nothing will change that. But he's steadfast now. He's steadfast now in his commitment to you. What did he give to you when he ascended into heaven? That here's my Holy Spirit. It's yours. The steadfast love of the Lord is manifest by the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only that, but he's steadfast in his word. He's given to you his very great and precious promises that we can cling to. He's steadfast. We're, we're fickle. We're wayward. But he is not. He loves you to the end. Friends, when we pray, what we're doing is we're acknowledging these things. We're saying to the Lord, reveal them. Let us revel in them. Let us revel in your word as it goes forth with power. Let us revel in your, 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 your protection and care 
and you're, you're guarding us and, and establishing us. Lord, let us revel in your love and your steadfastness. Let us see it on display. And every time we get on our knees and we pray, we're praying that, Lord, show us the wondrous, wondrous mercy and love that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, his steadfast love that endures forever. Let's pray.